to introduce the sermon series we're beginning in December. I wonder if any of you remember reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Any of you remember it? If you do, you might remember the curse on Narnia. And the curse is, do you know it? Always winter, never Christmas. Now, I think we in 2023 are also under a curse, but it's not that one. It's this. Always Christmas, never Advent. Because from the start of November, Christmas is here. The music is in the shops, the pressure is on, and you have no break from it. It's relentless. Time to rejoice, time to feast, time to celebrate, no matter how you feel, no matter what the world is like, and it goes on and on. And it is a curse, because for weeks, all you're thinking about is all that you have to do. Gifts you have to buy, travel, you have to arrange plans to put together, Worse than that, that pressure to feel festive when our world doesn't feel like a place full of joy, that pressure not to recognize the cold, dark, bleak things that are going on. That's why Advent is such a precious time. These Sundays leading up to Christmas give us an opportunity to be real about how our world is and to prepare, not just prepare for Christmas, but prepare ourselves for Christmas, giving us space in our prayers to acknowledge how much our world needs Christ to come, how much we need Christ to come, making sure we don't miss out on the heart of Christmas when it arrives, when he arrives. And that's what this sermon series we're embarking on is all about, what Jesus' birth means for the world. Looking at some Old Testament prophecies so that the Holy Spirit can turn our eyes to Jesus, helping us rejoice in his first coming, helping us long for his coming again. I'm going to have our first reading in that series now from Isaiah 40. So if I can invite Sarah up, and if you grab your Bibles and turn to Isaiah 40, the page number will come up on the slide. The reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, beginning to read at verse 1. This can be found on page 724 in the Bibles. Isaiah, chapter 40, reading from verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. 
the grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sarah, for reading. Uh, for everlasting God, we wait on you. Speak to our weary hearts this morning. Speak your comfort so that we might hear your enduring word and be revived and fix our eyes on Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I wonder, do you ever get messages that make your heart sink? I, I had one of those recently. Don't worry, not from anyone here. But I opened up my email inbox, and it was a message from them. And I thought to myself, oh, no, what have I done to upset them now? And I thought to myself, how long can I avoid opening this email to find out? Pity poor Isaiah, because that's how the people of Jerusalem would have felt about him. God had given him a message of warning to give to his people, speaking about the judgment that would come if they resisted him. And while Isaiah had spoken beautiful promises of future hope, the key signature, the dominant theme, was the judgment that would come if his people disobeyed God. And he does that, and it builds all the way to chapter 39, if you look down at it now, with this terrible news that because of the disobedience of the people, the king in David's line and the people of Judah with him would be taken into exile in Babylon. See, God had given his people a good land to live in. That was his promise. But he also promised that if they disobeyed him and kept disobeying him, they would be led out into exile, taken out of the land. And it's difficult to overstate how terrible this exile would be for them. It was like a death sentence for Israel. No longer in the land of promise, no longer with a temple where they could worship God, no longer under a king so they could flourish in God's promises. That was the message God gave Isaiah for the people, a message of warning and judgment. And that makes chapter 40, which we've just heard from, the most wonderful gear shift in Isaiah's ministry. Isaiah now speaks centuries ahead and gives a message of comfort from God for his people. Comfort to gladden their hearts and ours this morning. What is that message of comfort? I have one big thing to see this morning. We'll break it down. First, 
The message is, your exile is over. Your exile is over. If you were to flip on in your Bible to the book of Lamentations, you'd see a book talking about the horror of the destruction of Jerusalem. And in chapter one, we hear repeated that this city, and it's talked about as, as a widow, has no one to comfort her. There's no one to comfort her. But look down at verse one. That is exactly what Isaiah is given to do. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. This is comfort in what he says, but also how he says it. Verse two, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, her sin paid for. And that is remarkable because the exile was a mess entirely of Israel's own making. God had warned them again and again, and they had disobeyed him again and again. So this message of comfort is beyond anything they deserved, anything they could have hoped for. It's God's declaration that they were no longer under condemnation, but that he would step in to forgive them. And then verses three to five, we read about a highway being prepared. I know that in Cambridge, roadworks are the opposite of good news, but this would have filled the exiles with joy. You have to imagine them in Babylon, having to watch lots of triumphal processions, seeing the victorious Babylonians carrying their pagan gods, a constant reminder that they were defeated people. So this promise in verses three to five is God's promise that he would vindicate them, that one day they would see the ultimate triumphal procession, God himself coming through the wilderness, just like he did when he rescued them out of Egypt in the Exodus. And just like in the Exodus, this triumph would be in full view of all the nations, would be a triumph over all of their pagan gods. Verse five, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. Why? For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's why you can trust this promise. Verses six to eight, we continue to see there that all people, literally all flesh, is like grass. That human faithfulness is like the flowers that fall. And yet Isaiah is given a message of comfort that will never disappoint. Why? Because God has spoken it and his words endure. My wife loves flowers and so from time to time, I love buying them for her. And when I do, they're beautiful. They brighten up the house for a while because it isn't long before wilting happens, drooping happens, and then they need to be disposed of unceremoniously. And what God is saying is, that's what human faithfulness is like. That's what the strength of human flesh is like whether it's individuals or empires, whether it's weak Israel in exile or triumphant Babylon, all of it will pass away like the flowers do. One day, all of it will wilt, droop, and need to be disposed of. But not him. He is the everlasting God, as we just sung, and his word endures forever. It's a certainty, this comfort Isaiah is talking about because of God's enduring word. That's the message of comfort. Your exile is over. But did you notice, as, as Sarah was reading, what is it that ends the exile? 
You might expect Isaiah to be talking about the captives coming back. You might expect him to talk about their journey back into the city. And in fact, the Bible does do that in other places. Psalm 126, even other bits of Isaiah. But there's a surprise here in chapter 40. Have a look again. Verse 3, who is the way being prepared for? Prepare the way for the Lord. This is a highway for our God. This is the message of comfort. Your exile is over because God is returning. That's the thing that will end their exile. Have a look at verse 9. There's good news there to be proclaimed. But the good news isn't, look, here they come back out of Babylon. It's, here is your God. Verse 10c, the sovereign Lord comes with power. That's the message of comfort. Not that the exiles are returning, but God is returning to come to be with them. And if you had to distill Isaiah's good news down, you could do much worse than verse 9. Here is your God. Perhaps you could translate it, behold your God. Look at him. And that's what the rest of this section of Isaiah will do. It will show us what God is like to comfort us with his character and the promise of his presence. And what do we see when we look at this God? We see the most beautiful combination. Have a look at verse 10. You see there that God has a mighty arm. Again, that's language from the Exodus, the mighty arm. God as a conquering warrior coming and bringing the reward that his mighty arm has won. It's a picture of God as someone who is an irresistible force, but he's on the side of his people. But look at what God does with that power. Verse 11, we see his tender care. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Look at his tender care. This is how God uses his overwhelming power to care for his overwhelmed people. He is a good shepherd who knows each of his flock and knows their needs intimately. He isn't like me when I look at sheep. All I see is sheep. He sees each one's situation. He sees the lambs and gathers them up, the ones too weak to make the journey. He gently leads those who have young a very precious promise for those with little children and for those of us who know new parents to pray for his gentle leading. This God coming with the perfect combination, his mighty arm holds us close to his heart. Do you notice that? Verse 10, he rules with a mighty arm. Verse 11, he gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. If this God is coming back, that is good news. Verse 9, good news worth shouting about. Your exile is over because God is returning. And that's why this message of comfort has been so precious for so long. Isaiah was not just given a word for that one period of Bible history for Israel in exile, but one that God's people would never stop needing to hear. Here's the thing, even after 70 years in Babylon were over, even after the people got back to the land, even after the temple was rebuilt and the city walls had gone up, they still needed to hear this message of comfort. Because it turns out the exile isn't really over 
until God returns, until he comes in person to lift the death sentence that exile really was. So here's the full message of comfort for us this morning. Your exile is over because God is returning and he has come in Jesus. He's come in Jesus. Perhaps you're aware, but all four gospel writers come to these words in Isaiah 40 when they start talking about the story of Jesus. Because all of them recognize that Jesus is God coming in person to end our exile. Not just Israel's temporary exile from the land, but our exile, humanity's exile from God. The way our rejection of him has left us separated from him, cut off from the comfort of his presence. And that's why we need this word of comfort this morning, to see that that is who Jesus is. That's why the gospel writers started here, because if you have Isaiah 40 open and you look at Jesus, it's crystal clear, here is your God. That's why if you look down at verse three, it's a bit of a mystery. What is this voice calling? Who might that be? But the gospel writers knew. John the Baptist in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord by calling for repentance, preparing the way for God. And who is it that follows John the Baptist's proclamation? Jesus, God coming to us. Look again at these verses and see how Jesus brings everything as I was talking about. Verses one to two, Jesus brings the comfort of sin forgiven. And he can do that because on the cross as he dies, he says, it is finished. All of our sin paid for in full. In Jesus, we really have received from the Lord's hand double for all our sins. Double in the sense that the debt of our sin has its double, its exact match in what Jesus offers in his death. Comfort of forgiveness. Verses three to five, Jesus shows his glory for the world to see. That's how John describes what it was like to be around Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory. Verses six to eight, Jesus speaks his enduring word into our fragility. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 24, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Verses nine to 11, Jesus come and says, comes and says, I am the good shepherd. He is the one who holds us close with his mighty arm. He's the one who knows each of his sheep by name and knows how to meet each of our needs. Let me say, especially if you're here this morning looking into what Jesus offers, this is what God is really like. He's not out to get you. He's not sitting back and waiting for you to prove yourself good enough for him as if any of us ever could. This is what he's like, coming in Jesus with a word of comfort, bringing us more than we could ever deserve, more than we could ever have hoped for, more than we could ever imagine. Here is your God, Jesus, coming to take the burden of our sin off our shoulders, rescue us from the mess of our own making, coming to show us his glory coming to speak his enduring word into our fragility, coming to hold us close with his mighty arm. Your exile is over because God is returning and he's come in 
Jesus. That's the message of comfort Isaiah has for us this morning. As we finish, I have three ways for us to receive it. So first, this comfort is for you. This comfort is for you. Something I've noticed with some of my friends, especially those who are parents, is that Christmas is all about other people. They do it all for the children, and they go through all the motions, even though perhaps it doesn't really mean that much for them. That's a bit sad, isn't it? Well, you know, there's a Christian way of doing that too. And the Christian way is by making this time of year all about telling everyone else about Jesus and just that. Now, don't get me wrong. Verse 9, we have good news worth shouting about. It is so important and so right at this time of year to tell the world about Jesus. So if you can, please come back at 5 p.m. Richard Newman will be back in these verses, helping us make the most of the opportunity to speak of Jesus to others. But as excited as we must be about that, let's not forget that this comfort is for you. How can we share this good news with anyone else if we aren't believing it for ourselves? What a tragedy it would be to try to pass on comfort that we ourselves haven't received. However you're feeling this morning, this comfort is for you. If you're here as a pathfinder or part of Grafted, can I say this comfort is for you? What Jesus offers isn't just for your parents or whoever you came with, for you. This Advent, in the next few weeks, why not receive that comfort for yourself? Just wave this again. We've been doing it as a family. Loads of these devotionals by uh, J.C. Ryle at the back. They're only a pound, and they're brilliant. A good opportunity to receive that comfort for yourself. This comfort is for you. Second, this comfort is in him. There are so many good things we get when we trust in Jesus, aren't there? And this chapter highlights some of them. The comfort of sins forgiven. Insight into how the world really is as we hear God's enduring word. Purpose as we share good news and God gives us that amazing message. They're wonderful blessings. But you know, the best thing we get as we trust in Jesus is Jesus. It's him. The comfort is in him. And all those other things are only blessings if we have him. Without him, none of them are really ours. But with him, they're ours forever, and they're just the beginning. This comfort is in him. This Advent, don't just get busy about what Christmas might mean, and don't just get excited about the things Jesus brings, good as they are. Get excited about him. Rejoice in receiving not just gifts, but the giver. This comfort is in him. And finally, this comfort is sure to come. It's sure to come. So much of what Isaiah speaks of is already ours, but much of it is not yet here. Yes, today, through the Holy Spirit, the eyes of our hearts are open to see Jesus' glory. But when he comes again, every eye will see his glory. No one will miss it. Yes, today, through the Holy Spirit, we experience Jesus' care as our good shepherd. But when he comes again, he will hold us close to his heart and never let us go. That's what we're waiting for. This comfort is sure to come. So this Advent, let's cling to that promise. We're going to sing a final hymn in a moment, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it speaks in the first verse of captive Israel, mourning in lonely exile. That's not a statement about 
the current state of affairs in the Middle East, although it'll help us pray. Instead, it's words given to us, God's people, to long for Jesus' coming, because this comfort is sure to come. God gives us his word that it will, and his word endures, and it will not be long before he makes good on this good news. Let me pray before we stand to sing. Lord God, thank you for this message of comfort. You speak to our hearts. Please help us now to bring our hearts to you, to be honest before you about how much we need our Lord Jesus to come again. And please, Lord, lift our eyes to his sure coming, founded on an enduring word. Lord, now as we sing, we pray that you would help us look to him in hope and rejoicing in all that is ours in him. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>